Welcome to the Sunday Recap. We're so glad that you joined us today. Uh, I'm here today with Ariel Eldridge. How's it going? It's great. It's really good. How good. are you, Chris? Good. Nice. Good, good, good. Uh, Mitch is out today. He's not feeling great. He's got a little cold, I think, or something going on. He's, it's the sinuses. Yeah. He says the sinuses. Yeah. So it's uh, Ariel and me today. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> and we're just going to bring all the things uh, to the table. <laughs> we got a good one today. Uh, there's, yeah. there's a lot to talk about in this message. We are in the middle of a, a, um, a sermon series called This Is My Story. And this last Sunday, Pastor Scott uh, talked with us about the conversion of Saul uh, from Acts chapter 9. What a, what a crazy story. I know. What I really love story. this. This is a, this is probably the story for me that helped me understand grace a lot really? more of the New Testament. Yeah. Old Testament has some good stuff too. But this one, like, if you can take a murderer and use him for the glory of God, right. it's amazing. Right. It's amazing. Yeah. So typically, this is the time where we have, like, an announcement to give to you about something that's going on in the church. However, right now, there's not a whole lot that's going on. We're, we're starting to see some... Uh, some rise in some of the COVID numbers that are going on. Some of the schools are starting to go, like a bunch of schools this week went to hybrid learning mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, and so there's not a ton that's going on. We are gearing up for Christmas Eve services. That's going to be going on. Yes, absolutely. Um, but, uh, but Ariel, I mean, tell us, how should we be directing our attention at this point with not a ton that's going on in the church, but where should our, our focus and attention be? Well, I think, you know, first of all, it's very rare that we have an opportunity to just sort of um, take a season of rest and growth yeah. um, and, and growing at your own pace and just reflecting on this year. I think this is a really good season to um, enjoy your family, um, enjoy the people around you. We just came off of a series of um, discipleship, just finding ways to start talking to your friends and family um, and coworkers and people around you in your sphere. Um, about about Christ and yeah. just finding ways to, to grow relationships right now. Totally. Yeah, we're gearing up for things for the spring. Don't be don't be worried. We'll have studies and things coming out then. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. And you'll hear you you will hear more about that once we get to like December January. But um, but yeah, right now that's that's a great idea. Um, I would say too, if you want resources to help with that, like if you're looking for maybe a study to do with your spouse or with your family or with a friend. Um, reach out to us because we've got a ton. We would love to give you some uh, some great resources or ideas uh, to do uh, maybe some Bible study together with with friends in your community. So yes, yeah, great idea. Cool. Well, we are in session two of this is my story, talking about conversions, and this one is on the conversion of Saul. Uh, Saul becoming Paul. But before we jump into this, Ariel, mm. I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh, who is Saul? Ooh, <laughs> Saul. Saul is so interesting. First of all, his name is Saul. He, you can tell he's been named after King Saul. The King Saul. Yeah. The King Saul. Yeah, for the first king of Israel. Yeah, who mm. was chosen by God as well to do something right. very, very good for um, Israel to be their first king. Yeah. He didn't do very well. He didn't do very well. <laughs> and he ended up being a seedy character and the spirit of God was pulled from him. Like yeah. it's some interesting story. So, Hey, if you're looking for something to read, that's a good place there to go. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. First Samuel. Yeah. And, um, and so Saul was, um, he was Jewish. He was very involved in, um, the, in the, um, the temple and yep. just as a, as a religious leader, he was very well educated, knew the ins and outs of the law knew um, all the things about being Jewish and yeah. of the faith. Yeah. 
Um, and so here comes Christ and his disciples preaching this, um, that the kingdom of God is, is in Jesus Christ and in his sacrifice. Um, and now these apostles are, um, are, are spreading that good news. And um, he doesn't see it as good news. He sees it as blasphemy. And right. so his um, determination is to snuff it out. Right. Um, and so he is persecuting Christians and um, asking for um, special um, equipment from the government to, to get these Christians and to, to arrest them yeah. and uh, to persecute them. Yeah. So. We see in Acts, like he's, he's pulling people, his, his soldiers are pulling people from, the, from their homes, putting them yeah. in prison. Um, we have uh, him standing in approval over Stephen's uh, death mm -hmm. as he's martyred. He's stoning, yep. yeah. Um, the other thing that's really interesting about Saul is that um, he was also a Roman citizen, which uh, puts him in a very interesting position uh, a very unique position to be both Jewish and a Roman citizen. Mm -hmm. And because of that, um, man, I, I could totally see why God would want to use him because his, his, that unique position afforded him the ability not only to have the, the background of, uh, the old Testament and, and Judaism and all of that stuff, but also to be able to go through, uh, the, at that point, the Roman empire on his on his missionary journeys and bring the gospel to those people and and that gave him a lot of uh, a lot of leverage yeah uh, to yeah. do that um, and so so what a what a perfect choice for mm -hmm. God to say like all right Saul you're you're gonna be my guy for this so but what a scandalous choice right yes because. Everybody hated him who was a Christian, right? Right. <laughs> if you could well, hate. Well, they were scared of him. They were scared. Yeah. They when scared. when he was first converted, they, like they brought him to Antioch and everyone's just like, uh, no. are you <laughs> sure about this guy? Yeah. Like what in yeah. the world? Yeah, absolutely. So let's just kind of look at the text here. This is from Acts chapter nine. And um, uh, let's just go ahead and read, read the passage because I think it, it, it's important to to kind of see the, the, the story for what it is here. So uh, Acts 9, starting at verse 1, maybe we'll switch off here. <laughs> uh, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that's what Christianity was called back then, the Can way. Can we just pause and say Mandalorian for a minute? Isn't What's that? that a weird uh, Good. This is the this way. This is the way. <laughs> <Yes>. Okay. <laughs> uh, half of our listeners are like, I don't know what you're talking okay, about. Okay. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry about that. Should not interject. <laughs> um, so uh, that found so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate or drank. Would you, uh, would you mm -hmm. read the next part? Cha okay, so verse 10, still yeah. in chapter 9. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. 
and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, and behold, he's praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, that's wild, Brother Saul, yeah. the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. Yeah. The brother Saul thing is, is crazy. So Ananias, because he received this from the Lord, he's just like, okay, well, yep. he's, he's part of our group. Let's go. Yeah. He's part of our family. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, amazing story. Amazing story. Um, when Scott preached on this, he, he gave us four points from this to help us to sort of understand a little bit about conversions and, and how, um, and how God does this. And the first thing that he said is how God pursues you. God pursues you. This is a really important point, um, just theologically, I think, because what this is getting to is the idea that, um, first in our depravity, in our, in our fallenness and our brokenness, there's no way that we would ever um, actually pursue God, <laughs> right? And this is right out of a, a, a number of passages, but I, I would point us to Romans chapter three. This is Romans three, starting at verse nine. What then, are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that, uh, that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, no one is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God. Mm -hmm. No one seeks for God, and that and that's the point. Is that without um, without grace intervening in our life, no one is going to actually seek after God. God actually has to pursue us, and has to and has to give us some sort of grace in order for us to um, uh, to, to even <laughs> to even come to Him. And um, and so and I think that we see that all over the place. And in fact, one of the another really great passage for this I think is First um, John four nineteen where he says just really simply we love because he first loved us mm -hmm. you know and that and that's the point that god loves us first and foremost um and that's what what then uh changes us it's yeah. god's love for us first so um now it seems like maybe we've already waded into something controversial a little bit oh, I, yeah, although right off I, the bat. <laughs> although i don't i don't think this is super controversial because um because Really, uh, most every Christian believes that you have to have some kind of grace to, to help you to, to come to faith in Christ, and God is the one that initiates that. Right. So, so I don't think that's that's super controversial. Now, so what Scott did with this is he he went back to Acts uh, twenty six fourteen, and this is a a passage where the Apostle Paul is recounting his conversion story, and he's and he gives us a little bit more information about it, and so uh, Acts twenty six fourteen tells us uh, this is what, uh, when Jesus speaks to, to him, he says that he spoke to him in Hebrew, and, and he says, Saul, Saul, why are, you, why are you persecuting me? Which is from the Acts 9 story. But then he adds, 
it is hard for you to kick against the goads. And it's this idea of Saul was resisting and fighting God's calling. He was he was uh, he was really trying to get away from God and run from God, uh, but God had been pursuing him. So this is where I think we get into a little bit of a controversial issue because it really is a question of how much, um, what is the tension between um, God's sovereignty mm-hmm. over these things and and then our uh, responsibility as humans right. to be able to respond to God and things like that. So um, maybe let's just start there. Let's talk about that a little bit. What, yeah. are, what, are, what, are, what are your thoughts on that? Okay, so this is a this is a topic that um, I think we need to just kind of flesh it out and um, and, and think about all the um, the thoughts that we come to the table when we talk about this. Yeah. Um, because you know you may have heard people say, well, if God is irresistible, um, then how how is it that I get to to have any part in my, you know, in, in my conversion story? Mm. How is it that it's not just, um, determinism where he, uh, he saves me and I don't get a choice in the matter. Yeah. And I don't, we're just do robots. Ro- just yeah, doing exactly. Everything that robots. He says. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other one is like, what, what a, if we, we've already discussed, you know, that it has to somehow be something outside of us that draws us in, right. um, that we can't, if the scripture says that we are not, um, that we are not pursuing God, yeah. um, that no one is, then, um, then we know that we can't do it 100% on our own. So there, is there a, an in-between? Yeah. Do you want to talk about that? How do, yeah. we, how do we see what Scripture can help us? You know what was really helpful for me? Um, I, I read a book by um, this guy named Michael Horton, and he was talking about this idea of compatibilism. Mm-hmm. And, so, and, and so the idea is uh, when you look at this idea of like God being sovereign and us having free will, basically, that um, – that what we're saying is that somehow those two are compatible. They they work together somehow. Mm-hmm. And 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 I think that within that there's a mystery. Now typically when people look at those uh those two things, we think of it kind of like a kind of like a pie chart. You know, so if you can imagine a, a pie chart where uh on one end of, of the spectrum you have what you were saying, like the, the determinism idea, where if the pie the that pie chart would be one hundred percent of it is God is in control. Right. Okay. And that means humans have zero control. So humans are just the robots doing everything that God just directs them to do. Mm-hmm. And that's called determinism. At the other end of the spectrum, if you can imagine, you have another pie chart where God is not part of that at all. He has zero control and God has left all control to humanity. And so in that pie chart, you have um, 100% of it belongs to human free will. And that would be called deism, all right? It's the idea that God kind of set things up and then whoosh, took off, walked yeah. away, and left it all up to humanity to like figure it out on their own. Okay. Now, most Christians don't fall into either of those camps, uh, to be honest with you. Like most Christians are going to fall somewhere in the middle where they're going to say, well, God has reserved maybe, you know, 75% of, the, of, of everything that's happening in the world to his sovereignty, but he gives 25% of it to humanity. Or maybe it's a f- further down the other side where it's like 25% is God's mm-hmm. and then 75% is what he leaves to people. So you can kind of imagine like a, like a spectrum yeah. of all these different pie charts. But what compatibilism is saying is that all that's wrong. Um, <laughs> okay. Compatibilism is saying something very different where it's saying there's a, there's one pie chart and, and it's, it's God's pie chart and it's 100% God is sovereign and in control. Mm-hmm. But within that pie chart, there's these little tiny pie charts and 
one of them is for Chris and one of them is for Ariel and one of them is for Mitch and one of them is for everybody else. In fact, one of them is even for Satan and one of them is, uh, you know, for all the angels and things like that. So like everybody has this, has these, these free choices that they're making, but these free choices are being made within the context of God's sovereignty of mm-hmm. God, of God's 100% pie chart. Okay. Yeah. It's like him holding the framework in his hands and us being allowed to operate within it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And now what, so what that means is that what he is going to want to accomplish will be accomplished and he will use the means, uh, you know, he'll use us and he'll use, you know, whatever means possible to get those things accomplished. Um, which is, which actually brings us a lot of hope. I think at the end of the day, because we have a, a very good God mm-hmm. who loves us, who will accomplish his purposes, you know, and that's where our hope comes from. Now, to give you an example of this, because I think sometimes this is hard to wrap our minds around, but but let's just take um, the general election that, that just took place. Yep. Okay. Um, elections are really interesting when it comes to talking about this subject, because what you have here is you have scripture telling us that God is the one who appoints rulers to their authorities, okay? Right. So it's like, all right, God's the one that's appointing the rulers. But wait, we just did a general election, which actually means the people voted and and they're the ones that are appointing the ruler, okay? So this is exactly what compatibilism is, that what, what we would believe biblically is that God is behind the scenes working in people's lives in order to get them to the place where they're going to vote the way that they're going to vote in order to get the person in office who God wants to have in office. Now, that doesn't mean that God sanctions that person's decisions and the things that they're going to do in office, things like that. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that scripture is very clear that God is appointing those rulers to authority. And somehow in this election process, God is ordaining that. God is working in that Mm -hmm. in, in, in some way. And it's a mystery. Right. We just don't understand. Right. And so that's that's what's happening here. That's what compatibilism is. So That helps. Now, again, I will say this is controversial. This is, you know, not every Christian believes that. Um, this is the way that I understand it. Our church doesn't necessarily have a stance on this either. But I would say, you know, if you want to wrestle with this or talk about it, let's talk about it. I would love to talk more yeah. with people about yeah. this. So. Well, I think what you're doing, though, and what we as believers need to do is to take the scriptures and help help understand just a little bit more how the Bible can say that not one man chases after God or pursues God on his own. Right. And that there has to be a peace outside of ourselves that is grace. Yes. Um, and then how do we un- understand the fact that, um, that the Lord in his, in his grace has not made us um, to, to be robots and to operate where he wind- winds up the entire world and it, and it, and it, just hops along according to his right. sovereignty. Yeah. Um, and so there is that beautiful mystery in the middle that that needs to be understood just a little bit. Yeah. But, um, but it's okay that it's a mystery. Right. And that's the thing. I, that what I found with this personally is how much hope is found within that that right. idea that yeah. we are not left alone. That God really is in control, and we can say that with with confidence. Yes. So. Yes. Well, the, the next thing I, I, I want to talk about here is the uh, that statement that happens here where Jesus comes to Saul and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Yeah. So, Ariel, unpack for us what's going on. What's going on there? Uh, 
because is Saul actually persecuting Jesus? Jesus already died and risen and ascended. So what's happening? Right. No. So he, uh, so Saul, if you turn back to um, chapter eight in Acts, you can see how he's ravaging the church and the things that he's doing to um, to the believers of the early church. Mm. But what Jesus is saying here is, why are you persecuting me? And he's talking about himself personally. So Scott did a really good job of of pointing out to us that that Christ identifies with the church. Yes. And so he basically says here in Acts, um, and then also in a passage in Matthew that that Chris can share with us that yeah. that he I, that his people are is is basically what you're doing to me when you when you um, care for them you're doing this for me when you persecute the church you're doing that to me exactly yeah yeah this is Matthew 25 it's verses 31 to 46 we won't read the whole thing but this is the the famous sheep and the goats passage and and here this is that's just what he says he says you know i was i was hungry you gave me food i was thirsty and you gave me drink i was a stranger and you welcomed me i was naked and you clothed me and then they everyone's like when did we see you do all this stuff? When when did we help you with this? And he says, truly I say to you, as you did it to the least of my brothers, you did it to me. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that idea of unity with uh, Jesus's unity with his people mm-hmm. is um, it extends so far. Like like we, we talk about our union with Christ, but, but man, I, th- I feel like we just scratched the surface of what that actually means. Yeah. So what we see, I think, is is Jesus not only pursues you, but then he takes your place and identifies with you. Yeah. Um, and in order for us to love him, we need to love the church. Mm-hmm. We need to love those whom he has already pursued as well. That's exactly right. I mean, the church is Jesus's bride, right? Exactly. And if we don't, oh, man, if we love Jesus, we should love the church. Mm-hmm. We should love the people uh, that God has united himself with, that Jesus has united himself with, you know? So I see this as a as a call to realize that your salvation isn't just for you, that mm-hmm. it isn't an autonomous um, me only, me and Jesus only um, salvation, that it mm-hmm. is meant to be part of a body um, and part of a community of, of believers where um, he is saving you for the glory of his name and for um, the care and love of his people. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's one of the parts of his grace is that we get to be part of the body of Christ and that we can actually join into a local body where we can see his kingdom played out here on earth. Absolutely. And then, you know, what's funny too is so many times I think we will hear people say like, you know, I love Jesus I just don't love his church. I don't love his followers, you know? And I think uh, that's even kind of a famous quote from from Gandhi. Is that right? <laughs> like, okay, possibly. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but that's just the thing is like, there's a blessing with, with being in the church, you know, being a part of the church where, um, yeah, it's messy. It's, it, it's, uh, there's personalities, there's, there's going to be sin, there's going to be problems. Mm-hmm. Um, but within all of that, we are united with Christ, and that means we are united with one another yeah. as well. And yeah. and so, learning how to just so when you look, read like like Paul's letters in the New Testament, you read through them, and you're just like he constantly was trying to help people find that unity with one another. Philippians mm-hmm. was all about that. I think mm-hmm. um, when you talk about Ephesians chapter four, uh, the number of places where he's just like, look, be unified with one another. We are one body. Mm-hmm. Um, and we need one another. So he's like, you know, bear with one another and and and, and uh, carry each other's burdens and, and mm-hmm. things like that. So, 
we're as a staff reading a book right now by Paul Tripp that's very good about what he talks about. Uh, all believers have shortcomings and they have gifts. Yeah. And so when you put them together, you know, the shortcomings can rub against each other. But really what it's meant to do is we're meant to operate where we fill in each other's um, holes, where we're not where we're not gifted. Right. Like uh, I need Chris's gifts. I need um, the the rest of our body. So um, working together uh, is how is how we are better together. I always yeah. sign emails that way because yeah. that's that's truly how we've been designed is to um, is to come together to operate and glorify the Lord. Absolutely. And this kind of leads into what we were saying last week about how important it is for us to utilize those gifts for the edification of the body, right? And and exactly. not for our own personal use. It's 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 actually for we have these gifts for each other. Let's get to the second point how God opens our eyes. God opens our eyes. Um, here what um, what Scott was talking about was how Paul loses his physical eyesight in the story, but he loses his physical eyesight in order to gain his spiritual eyesight, mm-hmm. essentially. Um, let's just help us unpack a little bit what that means of, of like being spiritually blind and, and then, and then the, the grace that's required to, to then open our eyes to what's yeah. really going on. Yeah. I got super excited when Scott went back to the garden because I think there are so many things that start there. Absolutely. Um, really, it all starts there. Yeah. And so what he brought up was that- Genesis um, 1, 2, and 3. Exactly. Yeah. When when Adam and Eve sinned, their love for God was replaced by the love of self, and that's where idolatry mm. comes in. And so each of us are born in that sin with Adam as our as our federal head, and so we are we are all coming to the table with spiritual blindness. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, what God has done here in this story about Saul is that He has reversed that. It's like this beautiful picture of taking the garden and and turning it back. Yeah, and uh, and giving them the spiritual eyesight back. Right, right. What's so neat is like like what this. What this ultimately means is that again, it's the idea that we need God's grace here. Again, like like all of us are born into this spiritual blindness, and we need God's grace to open our eyes so that we might see these things. There was a heresy that cropped up in the what was it, fourth century? Uh, a, a guy named Pelagius. Uh, this is a little church history stuff right now. So. <laughs> You can just tune out. Everyone can take a nap. Um, anyway, so, uh, <laughs> but but uh, a guy named Pelagius, and uh, he was uh, a contemporary of Augustine. So you may have heard of Augustine. Or Augustine. Augustine. It, yeah, all the smart people <laughs> call him Augustine. Um, uh, so, so Pelagius really believed that basically you could – you didn't need God's grace to go to heaven. Like, you could earn your way there. Mm-hmm. And uh, he talked about um, – you know, a number of things about like, you know, if God commands it, God will supply the, your ability to do it. So you better, you know, you better like shape up and you can, you can get there yourself. You don't need Jesus' sacrifice. But that sounds so backwards. If God supplies it, that's his grace. Oh, okay. Here I am fired up. (laughs) So, um, so Augustine wrote a lot against him to, to basically say, no, look, we all fall, fall short of the glory of God, right? Romans three again. Um, and, and because of that, we all are, um, naked, we all are uh, sinful. We all are full of shame and brokenness, and we all need God's grace. And uh, that was that was really his his main point to get across to him. And so, um, and so, what what I think is is fascinating is this is this is our bent uh, in in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. We we our bent is to kind of go back to Pelagianism because because we we often so we just so often think. 
okay, I can get my life together. Yeah. I can I can fix this. I can earn God's love, right? Well, Pelagian, you know, like really what he's doing is he's siding with Adam and Eve's first act in the garden after yes. they sinned is to, what are they going to do? We better sew some stuff together to cover our nakedness. Exactly. And so their own works is what they're using to, yeah. to get out of that situation. They use their own, that's like self-justification, yeah. right? It's They're trying to self-atone for what they've done. And and I, and I think the point of Christianity is is recognizing we can't self-atone. Right. We need right. the, the atonement of Christ. Um, I love that Scott brought up this idea. He said, he said, when, when we find ourselves in this situation, we actually have to repent of our, not just our evil deeds, but of our good deeds. Mm. Um, why is that? Why yeah. do we have to repent of our good deeds as well? Yeah. Well, I mean, if we are in the, in the camp of thinking that we can earn our way into heaven, then we may be doing some really beautiful things. You know, we may be loving the church, but it's out of our own our own power and out of our own selfish um, ambitions yeah. and our own idolatries. And, um, and really that just makes them like filthy rags exactly. in the sight of the Lord. And so um, leaning into what he has truly given us is, is the way to do that. You said it just right. Um, Isaiah 64, six, this is what it says. It says, we have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment is what it says. All of our righteous deeds, yeah, right? There isn't a righteous deed that we could do that could earn anything uh, for, you know, to, to earn God's love, to earn God's favor. We, we, can't, we, we can't do it. Yeah. Um, grace is required in order, in order for us to uh, have our eyes opened and to be justified before God. And, that, and that's really the next thing because Paul, uh, Paul, because Scott said <laughs> that God saves us, uh, and that's and that's that justification. Um, one of the things that he said is how real grace is an absolute scandal. Yeah, yeah. Um, and actually, as you were reading that passage, I just wanted to stop you and be like, for, for me personally, this is the story in the New Testament that helps me understand grace because it's just so scandalous what yeah. he's done in the person of Paul. Yeah. Um, and, and really, if we think grace is something that, you know, is just this fancy word for God's love or whatever, and that we earn our way into heaven, which is kind of what I thought growing up. That's mm. what I thought. I thought God's grace was just his love. Um, and I didn't realize the workings of it was that I honestly cannot accomplish a single bit and that he um, saw me in my brokenness and my, and my filthiness and was still willing to extend a hand to me and to give me everything I needed mm. for grace, for salvation. Yeah. Um, it's just, it, that is life changing. Right. It, it, it begins at the point, grace has to begin at the point of, oh, I need it. Like right. I, I, I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm broken. Right. Um, what a, what a, what a difficult place to start. I mean, our, our pride rails against that mm -hmm. from day one. I mean, it doesn't, it, it's not even a cultural thing. It's every culture. <laughs> it's our, our, our pride is always like, no, like I'm good. You know, um, yeah. I don't need that. And so our desire for autonomy, our, our, our bent towards autonomy constantly pushes us against the grace of God. Well, the last, the last point here is that God commissions us and in God commissioning us, um, we see the commissioning here of of Paul himself. So, so let's let's look back at verse thirteen and uh, go through go through sixteen. 
Would you, would you read that? Yeah. yeah. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he's done in, to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Yeah. Crazy. This is Paul's calling to ministry. Uh, to a completely transformed life that from you know changed from the uh, the the Jew of all Jews, the Hebrew of Hebrews, um, the persecutor of the church, and now going to be a chosen instrument of God to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Crazy, yeah, just yeah. crazy. Um, sometimes I think we come to passages like this and we try to directly apply that to us. Like, oh, maybe that's me. Like I need to go be, you know, the the one to go take uh, the gospel to the Gentiles or, you know, mm-hmm. to, you know I'm going to go on these missionary journeys or things like that. But can we do that, that kind of one-to-one um, application of a verse like this mm-hmm. to us or, or how should we how and if not, then how should we read this passage? Yeah, so we talk about this a lot here. We have we have a, a Bible teacher training, and and even when we have um, men's and women's studies, we try to talk about how we can apply the Bible. And and applying it one to one is is sometimes dangerous because we can see that there are some passages in here that are are pretty darn specific that we don't want to yeah. don't want to mess with that. Um, but everything does apply to us as the church. Um, and as a, as a person um, who is one with Christ, as a believer, you are a chosen instrument to carry God's name. Now, mm-hmm. um, the playing out of this may be different for every believer because if we were all called to go to the Gentiles, like I, it, you can see how that is, that's very myopic. It's very narrow-minded. Right. And really what we're meant to do is to carry it to the ends of the earth. And so and to, right. to do that, we have to spread out and do go different ways. Um, and so your story may be different from Paul's, um, but you still have that, that share in the commissioning of spreading the gospel, um, to whom you have been given. Um, and so, so, so just really quick, um, in this, what we're seeing in Acts chapter nine, we're seeing a fulfillment of Acts chapter one, actually, because Acts chapter one, Jesus, right before his ascension, Mm -hmm. he tells the apostles, um, he tells them that they will be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and and to the ends of the earth. So you have this, this uh, Jerusalem is the city, it's the smaller, smallest focus. Judea is like the region, Mm -hmm. right? Samaria Mm -hmm. is just outside of that. And then to the ends of the earth. And so we've already seen the gospel spread at the beginning of Acts, mm-hmm. Acts uh, 2, Acts 4. We see the gospel spread in Jerusalem and Judea. When you get to Acts 8, you see it spread to Samaria. So because of the persecution of Stephen, you have Philip, who then moves up north to Samaria and brings the gospel there, and we see conversions happening there. And then Acts chapter 9, here's Paul's conversion, and he's going to be the chosen instrument to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. So, so that... Chapter one is setting up the framework for what the, the the specific calling that the apostle Paul is getting here. So. Yeah, yeah, and you know what? I mean, this is something worth looking into. Have you noticed that the Great Commission is basically an extension of the 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 mandate that Adam and Eve are given? Is that they are really? to be fruitful and multiply? Okay, oh, and okay, so, yeah, yeah, we've, can, we've talked about it. yeah, yeah. You can see that the the first the first um, commissioning is in the garden, and that God's 
God's dwelling place would spread. And mm. so now he's dwelling in believers here in Acts, and he's telling them to spread. Yes. So cool. Yeah. God is so good. Yeah. I love how Paul even ends up talking about that idea later on. He he calls the the people that he actually helps to bring to faith, like his the converts that 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 he was a part of, like bringing them to faith. Uh-huh. He calls them his children. Yeah. And and I was like, yeah, that's that's so awesome because this is this is your you know his spiritual children. And so it, it, when we have people in our life that we have ministered to, cared for, brought to faith in Christ, like they are our, our spiritual children. Yeah. And we are fulfilling that initial commission in back in Genesis two to be fruitful and multiply. We're fulfilling that through Christ today, uh, which is so neat. Yeah. I would just say as we close that um, that what Christ has done here for Saul is exactly what he's doing for us, even if our if our conversion story is different. Yeah. You know? I mean, for me, I was in the third grade, and maybe you ha- just came to Christ, you know, last week. Um, our stories may not look exactly like like Saul's, um, and that's okay. Uh, this is a direct commissioning of an apostle that we are going to build on. So. Mm. All of these people that Christ directly commissioned, they did the legwork for us so that we can just carry out that great commission um, and walk in what, what Jesus has laid out for us. Um, and, and your story is so important to, um, to those around you because um, this is one of those ways that the Lord has chosen to, um, to glorify himself through what he has done in you and in me. Mm. Um, and so even if our, our circle or our influence is small, maybe it's just your household. Um, maybe it goes beyond that. Maybe it goes to your cubicle at work. Um, that we just, we want to be faithful to that. We want to just give, um, give glory to what God is doing in and through us. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting because I've, I've spoken to a number of people who have talked about their own stories in that way. Like, well, it's not that glorious. It's not that amazing. I wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't on drugs. I wasn't, you know, a big fat sinner and all that sort of stuff. And, and doing you're all like, well, stuff. yeah, you were. <laughs> well, well, so that's, that's the yeah. whole thing. It, yeah. it, it's that, um, you know, maybe someone became a Christian when they were very, very young. Yeah. Um, and, and being, being so young that they didn't get into all these different, different things that maybe someone, someone else who came to faith later may, may get into. And, and so, so the, the, the thing with that is that there is still an incredible glory in your story. Um, the, the, the glory of it may not be, um, what did God rescue you from like the, the things that you were doing, but what did he prevent you from even getting into? Um, where, what, what was your path before you started going that way. Where was your heart bent mm-hmm. towards? Um, and always, our hearts are bent towards rebellion against God. Um, our, you know, feeding our own bellies. Our, you know, it's yes. it's, it's serving ourselves. Uh, our heart is always bent toward that, and we absolutely need rescue. Uh, no matter who we are, we we need rescue. And so, there's a glory, even in those simple stories. Mm-hmm. There's a glory in that because because you needed rescue as much as as anyone else. Yeah. As anyone else did. You know what I think would be really cool during this time of just having a little bit of rest and you know maybe you're still running ragged with work and other things outside of church, but here here's something you can do um, just to see God's story expand from his scripture and beyond is read the Gospel of Luke and read the book of Acts yeah. and see how the church started. Um, see how Christ has has come to be and and how He is working through us. It's it's a beautiful way to read Absolutely. scripture. Absolutely, yeah. Luke and Acts are written by the same author. Uh, so Luke, 
Luke, <laughs> yes. And uh, and what, so it's kind of like Luke part one and then Luke part two is, yeah. is the book of Acts. Yeah. And so so it's really great. You can see that that whole flow of the narrative. And it, yeah, and it's a narrative. So it's yeah. it's somewhat easy to read um, and you can understand uh, just the flow of the story. Yeah, yeah. Great idea. Well, hey, thanks so much for joining us today on the Sunday Recap. We, uh, as always, would love to answer any questions that you have. We talk, we waded into a bunch of stuff today, and Mitch wasn't here to keep us uh, uh, to keep to keep us uh, uh, on track in some ways. But we but we talked through some some pretty heavy things. But again, if if you would like to talk about any of these things, ask questions, uh, reach out to us. We would love to talk with you about it. And uh, as always, we look forward to having you next time on the Sunday recap. See you then.